for tuning in at the 461st episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, Eros, Daryl, D-Lane, as always, wherever you are, however you may be listening, I thank you for making me and this show part of your day, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Pandora, whichever podcast, never platform you may be listening to me via, being recorded from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, per the new usual, going to have a great podcast for you guys today, going to have Sean Hyken on, he covers the NBA for the Rose Garden Report, we have a great conversation we talk about the Portland Trailblazers, Dam- Damian Lillard. Uh, we get into loyalty in the NBA. We also had a great conversation towards the end in terms of how we view superstars. Is it right to chase a ring? Was Kevin Durant unfairly criticized? And we had a really philosophical conversation that I enjoyed. We also talked about Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and the drama that's going on in Brooklyn. Now, before we get to all that, I'm going to give my shameless plug as always. First time listener, thank you, but subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast with your friends and family, whether it be via Reddit, Threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Check on the description below, specifically if you use Spotify. I have everything timestamped. You can click on the timestamp and it will send you to whichever part of the podcast you would most like to listen to. Folks, it's for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter at NightTrent underscore Lane. And lastly, if you have Apple or iTunes, give me five stars and a great review. For some odd reason, right? If you don't like the pod, then don't say anything because you know what your mama told you. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And cut up next at the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to have Sean Hyken on the show. Cut up next at the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right, folks, $1,000. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. I know, great deal, right? You should take it right now. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlay spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Great deal. Again, should take it, folks. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TPPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us, Sean Hyken, host of the Rose Garden Report. How you doing, man? Doing all right, man. How about you? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. So Damian Lillard signs an extension with the Blazers, going to stay there long term. How do you think this deal, how do you think this ends for Dame? How do you think Dame's career ends? In, in, in what sense? Does it end in Portland? I think right now everybody is kind of operating as though that's how it's going to go. I think that, that's, you know, that's certainly what he wants. That's, I have no reason to believe that's not what the, 
and especially since some of the uh, front office changes that took place in December, I think I think that I think that changed some things about his uh, wanting to you know to, to, to be here long term. So I think I think I think that that is the way that everybody is kind of assuming it's going to go at this point. What would have? What do you think would have to change for that to change for Dame to maybe look around and be like, maybe this isn't where I want to be? Because we do live in a world in the NBA where it seems like, right, the Kevin Durant situation, stars are kind of hot and cold. One minute they want to be someplace, the other minute they don't. Well, and so I was out in Vegas when Dame signed the extension, and he was, you know, I was there for summer league, and he was out there, and they did the press conference when he signed the extension and one and a question that I actually asked him was you know he's been so adamant the entire time you know that he wants to be in Portland his whole career and he doesn't want to you know, do the same thing everybody else is doing and just you know keep you know jumping from team to team a question that I asked him was has there ever been a time in the last 10 years that you maybe wavered on that and you thought maybe this isn't really where I need to be and what he said was that if there was ever going to be a time when it was going to happen, it would have been last summer when they, you know, they lose to Denver in the first round and they just don't, you know, it was a, it was a series he felt like they shouldn't have lost because they, because Denver, had, you know, was missing a bunch of guys and that Portland had all pretty much all their guys, and then the general manager comes out and says that it wasn't a product of the roster and then fires Terry Stotts and, you know, the, their coaching hire is handled the way that it's handled and Dane is kind of left to take some of the heat for that and then they don't really do much that last offseason to get better in terms of the roster because the GM thought that it wasn't the roster's fault. And so I think last summer there was some thought that maybe Dane actually was looking around and was like, are they really doing everything they can in order to, uh, you know, build the best team that they can around me. And then I think in uh, December when Neil Shea, the general manager, was fired and Joe Cronin took over, I think a lot of those concerns that Dane had kind of fell away because you have a different voice in there and you have someone who isn't so attached to never trading certain guys on the roster and is more willing to take risks and more willing to try to do different things to, to build a roster that makes sense around Dame. And I think Dame is pretty happy with the job that they've uh, done this offseason. At least, like, I don't think anybody thinks this Portland team is a title contender the way that it's built now. But Dame's stance the whole time has been that he wants to be in Portland. He wants to play here his whole career. But he wants to at least have them be putting themselves in a position where they, you know, are trying to, you know, give themselves a shot. And I think he feels that that's the case now more so than it was the last couple of years under the previous regime. So I don't see Ames. That, that's something where I don't really see his mind uh, changing if it hadn't already. How close do you think he was at that point to maybe looking to leave? Like, if there's a percentage we could put on it, how close do you think it was? Do you think it was maybe just something that kind of floats to the mind or it was like never really a consideration? I think he was looking around. I think it was probably got it. Uh, you know, I haven't talked to him about this directly, but I think it was like 50-50 probably that he was at least for the first time because he was so, you know, adamant about it, you know, before. Like, I'm never leaving Portland. This is, you know, where I want to be, blah, blah, blah. And then at some of his press conferences or some of the media availabilities that he did um, during the Olympics last year, he was pretty noncommittal about the whole thing. 
thing about about you know I haven't decided what I'm going to do. I really you know I, I want to see some more urgency from the front office. So I think he was looking around a little bit at least and at least being open to the possibility. And you know there there was a story from Chris Haynes at Yahoo you know a number of months ago that uh, Dame actually met with LeBron and Anthony Davis and they were both kind of trying to sell him on like you should try to get yourself to the Lakers or you should try to go somewhere else. And then at the end of the day, Dame was just like, you know what, I'm good. I don't really want to. I don't really want to do that. I think part of it was Dame looked around and he realized that there wasn't a situation could have gone to that um, was like a guaranteed championship and so it's like if he leaves and then does still doesn't win then he's just another guy who left and then didn't win and then if he leaves and does win then he's another guy that left and did and I, I you know it's all, I think the sense that I've gotten you know I know the guy pretty well but like the sense that I've gotten is uh, that he wants to do things the way that he wants to do them I do think that if the previous general manager was still in charge in Portland. They would have never done anything at the deadline. They wouldn't have traded CJ. They would have just run it back and said that it wasn't the roster. And then Dane would maybe be looking at it right now and saying, yeah, I don't know if this is it. But I, I don't, at this point, I don't see that really being, you know, something that's on the table. What do you think draws Dane to Portland so much? And why he's so resolute and wanting to be loyal there and stay? He likes it here. His family is happy here. The organization largely has treated him well. And I think he also just kind of, I mean, this is just kind of the way that he's wired. Because remember, he wasn't a very heavily recruited player uh, coming out of high school. He committed to Weber State, which is a mid-major. And then, you know, and he's talked about this before, after a couple of years you know, playing really well at Weber State, he started getting offers to transfer to some of the bigger programs like Kentucky and Duke and, you know, some of the, you know, the more high, you know, high profile programs. And he was like, you know, you guys weren't, you guys weren't here when I didn't have anybody else interested in me. I'm not going to leave Weber State now. You know, now suddenly you guys want me now. And I think Dane kind of feels the same way about like Portland drafted me at number six. In, in 2012 and they treated me well and you know I have a good relationship with the fans and my family likes living here like I you know there's no reason I, I he, there's no reason for him to feel like oh I need to get to a bigger market or I need to you know just, just go somewhere else because that's what everybody else is doing that's the that's the sense that I've always gotten from what his you know his mentality is about it so it seems like what you're saying is this as long as like Portland's going all in to contend not necessarily winning the championship is like you know, a deal breaker, but just being in the mix. So how do you think this team goes about getting into that conversation? Because right now, if we're going to like tier the West, right, they wouldn't necessarily be in the top four right now. So how do they get there? I mean, it's probably going to be a multi-year process. I think that they are, you know, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I don't think that they're necessarily in the, you know, the top, top, top tier. Like they're, they're not on the level of like a Golden State, Phoenix, uh, you know, Denver, if they're healthy, Clippers, if they're healthy, like that, like that group. And I think that the organization, you know, Joe Cronin, the new general manager, has said this on the record that he doesn't think they're good enough. But it's, I think it's going to just be, you know, part of it is, you know, I think they are they're very high on like how on this Jeremy Grant acquisition. They think he's going to fit in really well, and they're also, you know, very. I, I'm, I'm a little skeptical that he's going to make an impact right away, but they're very high in their organization on Shade Sharp, the kid that they just uh, drafted number seven overall, and they think that he 
has kind of star upside, and they think that you know at some point if he makes a leap, then that could be a way for them to get into that conversation. I don't know. It's probably going to be a multiple year thing of just you know upgrading the roster, different cases, and even if they even if they do everything that it's in their power to do, they might not get there just because. You know, the West is as deep as it's ever been. You know, you have Golden State who just won the title. They're bringing all their guys back. You've got Phoenix who, you know, there's some weird stuff going on with DeAndre Ayton right now, but their roster looks the same that it did when they just won 65 games and had the best record in the in the West or in the league last year. Denver is healthy again. The Clippers are healthy again. Minnesota just made a big move bringing in Rudy Gobert. New Orleans is like up and coming. Uh, you know, they, they had kind of a surprise playoff run. And they're theoretically going to have Zion healthy. Uh, Memphis is still going to be in the mix. Uh, like, it's a crowded field, and I think that there's no guarantee that Portland is going to be able to get themselves into that top tier. But you know, I think I think the thing that's making a difference to Dame is that they're trying, which they you can't always have said that over the last couple of years. Do you do you think there is any moves that they could make, like a potential trade that's out there? At the moment, they're kind of limited for what they can do. I think a lot of stuff is going to open up during the season once a lot of the trade restrictions pass. Because I know that there was some talk about you know when Dame looked like a week before free agency posted that Photoshop of him and Durant, like oh could they get in the mix with Durant? First of all, I don't think they would have anything Brooklyn. Want, but now, like right now, even if something like that were on the table, they legally can't make them like that right now because all the salaries that they have that are big enough to send out are guys that they just signed or re-signed and can't be traded until December or January. So right now, they're pretty limited with what they can do. But I would say one one thing that that Joe Cronin has been pretty consistent saying since you know the off season started is that he doesn't ever consider himself done making moves and he's always going to be looking to make upgrades so you know they have they have like a six million dollar trade exception that they can uh use that they have from the robert covington deal so they think that there are ways for them to add guys i think in an ideal scenario for what they would be looking to do they would like let's say at some point the kevin durant phoenix trade happens i don't i have no idea when or if that's going to happen but at some point it might so let's say in that scenario, Portland can jump in and be the third team and send one of those teams a pick and then peel off like a Cam Johnson into the trade exception. Like basically do what uh, what Cleveland did a couple of years ago when James Harden was getting traded to Brooklyn and Cleveland got involved as a third team and basically was able to get like a Jared Allen for free who ended up basically becoming an all-star for them. So. If there's a bigger move for Portland to make, I think it would be something along those lines, but I wouldn't expect anything like that to happen until, you know, either at the deadline or next offseason. I think I think the biggest stuff that they've done this offseason is the biggest stuff that they're going to do for right now. Do you think this team's better off with having uh, Jeremy Grant instead of CJ? Oh, God, yes. In terms of fit, it's it's we've seen what the ceiling is with the Dame-CJ uh pairing like they made the conference finals one year but for the most part like it was a first or second round team that their skill sets were kind of redundant they never really had good you know enough good you know wing defenders around game especially you know 
when they did have wing defenders and it was like Al Farouk Aminu, they wasn't nearly as good of an offensive player as uh, as as Jeremy Grant is. So it was a lot. It was just the roster has never really made sense around Dame. You know, with with the, you know the Dame CJ pairing taking up so much salary. I think it was. I think I think as, as good as CJ is and as good as he's been in New Orleans and as good as he will continue to be in New Orleans and as good as he and Dame were. At, together at various points it was kind of time for them to break it up and try something else and everybody realized that except for the previous general manager and I, I, I definitely think that just from a big standpoint Jeremy Grant makes a lot more sense around Dane why do you think the previous regime didn't realize that okay so this is I mean, this is a whole more complicated thing to get into but basically Neil Olshay took the job as Blazer general manager in June of 2012. So technically, he drafted Dame, but he had taken the job like three weeks before the draft, and so the organization and the front office and the scouting department had already done all the work on Dame. So he couldn't really take credit for Dame, whereas he could take credit for CJ. And so because of that, he would just never even consider trading CJ. He viewed CJ as just as valuable and just as good as Dane because he was his discovery. That was, that's kind of, I mean, there are some times where front office executives will fall too in love with their own guys and, you know, overvalue guys that they drafted and they discovered. And that, that, you know, from, from what I understand, that was kind of the case uh, previously. So Dane last year, his numbers kind of dropped. He went from, 45% shooting from the field in 2021 uh, to 21-22 season. It goes down to 40%. His three-point shooting percentage dropped. Uh, points per game dropped. Dame is 31. Next year is going to be his age 32 season, I think. How much longer does Dame have of being a quote-unquote superstar? Well, the thing that you have to talk about with last season is that he underwent this ab surgery to correct this you know this this pain that he had been playing through he he, he himself has said three and a half or four years is how long he's been dealing with whatever this uh this you know this ab this core muscle thing is that he's been dealing with and you could just tell last year you know you, as you just mentioned his numbers dropped way 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 off and so he had this procedure he was shut down for most of the season which is when they decided to kind of go the direction they went and just blow everything up and basically do a one-year tank and one thing that Dane told us, he did, a, he did a press conference like a week after he had his surgery last January, was that when he was playing on the Olympic team last summer, Drew Holiday, who was one of the guys who was on the team with him, had had this same surgery previously. And every day at practice, Drew Holiday could see how Dane was struggling and it would just keep telling him, dude, you have to go get this surgery, get this done. And... It's a surgery that a lot of NFL players have had, and a lot of them have then come back and been stronger and, you know, not been in pain. And I just saw Dame a few days ago because he is doing, he was doing his camp for kids that he used to do every year before COVID. This is the first year in a few years that they've been able to do it. So I just went out there uh, for that and we talked to him a little bit. And he says that physically he feels better than he has in a long time. And so if he's really back to being 100%, which he hasn't been in a number of years then you have to think that he's going to age pretty well so that's uh that's all we really have to go off of right now obviously any player when they have a surgery like that is going to say uh 
God, but like with this, it, it, it's a it's the kind of thing where you know it's it's a thing where you have the surgery, you correct it, and it's going to go away. It's not like he's coming off a torn ACL or a torn Achilles or something where you know it's a it's a leg injury or a knee injury where you know, you're going to have to you know you're just always going to have to deal with it. This is the kind of thing where he addressed it, and now it should just be addressed. So. Everybody in the organization right now and everybody around Dame is expecting him to come back this year and be Dame. So where would you put Dame right now in terms of the hierarchy of NBA superstars? When he's healthy, I think he's a top, you know, 10 to 15 guy, I think is fair, is probably fair to say. It'll be interesting. I mean, a lot of this, you know, I think I think he kind of dropped off of that last year just because, you know, he was playing hurt and he had his surgery, he was shut down for most of the year, but... When he's healthy, he's one of those guys where if he's on your team, you're probably going to win 45 games. Like there's a floor. Like he's a like there. You know, I think there's 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 this talk that you know some guys are floor raisers and some guys are ceiling raisers. I think Dame is a floor raiser. If you have him and he's healthy, there's only so bad that you can be. And I think that there's something to be said for that. So now I want to go to the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Kevin Durant, will he be traded? I do think he will be at some point. I just, I, I, my, your guess is as good as mine as to where that will be. Phoenix was clearly where he wanted to go, but, you know, them, now them matching the offer sheet on DeAndre Ayton, that kind of complicates that a little bit because that was a lot of the money that they would have been able to use to make that deal work. So I don't really know how that's going to happen without a third team getting involved. Miami, I don't think, has a strong enough offer like I don't think the Tyler Hero Duncan Robinson plus a pick type of package is uh, is you know is is really that compelling of an offer and then you look at teams that have been thrown out like hey well you know these teams have a lot to offer like a Toronto or a New Orleans and I don't think any team that Durant doesn't actively want to go to is really going to be rushing to get into the mix because as good as Durant is there's also the thought of uh, he asked you know, Brooklyn did everything to cater to him and, you know, make it do exactly what he and Kyrie wanted. And he still asked for a trade with four years left of his contract. What's to stop him from we trade for him? And then he asks for a trade with three years left on his contract. Uh, so I don't know when he will get traded. It might not be. I don't think it would happen at the deadline, but I think uh, I think there's a chance he plays this next year in Brooklyn and then something happens next off-season when, you know, every, the market kind of resets and things open up a little bit, but I, I don't think, if this is what you're asking, I think I think it's probably about 50-50 that he played this season with the Nets, but I don't think he's going to finish out his contract with the Nets. So you think there's a chance that he can actually play this whole season for the Brooklyn Nets? Sure, I mean, and the thing that you have to keep in mind with Durant, like, it seems right now, like, oh, he just wants to leave, and they, I don't think that Kevin Durant is wired the same way as somebody like Ben Simmons or James Harden, where they would just I'm not even gonna show up to training camp. I'm not gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna boycott until I get traded. I don't think that A, because I think Durant cares so much about like his public image and B, like I think Durant just likes playing basketball too much to do that. I don't think I, I think I think he if they don't trade him by training I mean, the, the Kyrie thing is a whole other thing that I'm sure you probably want to get into but I think if Durant is not traded by training camp I would expect that he will show up and be a professional and do his job I don't think he's going to 
make it into like this uncomfortable thing where he's not showing up or he's throwing guys under the bus or whatever the case may be. Like, I think it's more possible to bring him, if you're Brooklyn, I think it's more possible to bring him back than it would be to bring Kyrie back, just given how toxic that whole situation has become. But if you bring Kevin Durant back, don't you kind of have to bring Kyrie back too? Not necessarily. I mean, what's going to happen if you don't? Like, Durant's under contract for four more years. Is he going to sit out all four years because he's mad that his guy was not, you know, was traded? I mean, to me, if you're if you're Brooklyn, and this is why I do think, as much as both sides are posturing that it's not going to happen, I ultimately think that the Kyrie for Russ thing is eventually going to happen because if you're Brooklyn, you can't bring Kyrie back after the way that things have gone with him the last couple of years and, you know, some of the things that, you know, whether it be Steve Nash or Sean Marks have said about wanting people who are fully bought in or, you know, or any of that. And if you're, and if you're the Lakers, like the Russ thing, you just like, you can't, you can't run that back. Just, it's, it's kind of an untenable situation. I think that ultimately that deal is, is going to get done. And again, what's Durant going to do? Not play for four years? Where I, I, I don't see that. But I guess my thing is, if Kevin Durant comes back, I'd have to assume, right, the COVID mandate's kind of gone in New York City, like, Kyrie would probably play. I mean, I guess, who knows what Kyrie's thinking. But I guess that could possibly be a situation where he's like, okay, that's my guy, KD, maybe I'll play. Isn't that, like, the most talented team that they can put out on the floor with those three, those two plus Ben Simmons, and then their best chance to have any type of success next year? Well, yeah, you're you're assuming two things. I mean, it's, it wasn't just... The, 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 the issues with Kyrie was never just the COVID, you know, the, the vaccine stuff. There were, you know, a couple years ago, he basically just like took two weeks of just like, I need yeah. I you know. You know, there was like that, there was that whole thing. There's always, the thing is like, and I think the organization, you know, the, the thing that's keeping Kyrie in Brooklyn right now is that he's Durant's guy and Durant doesn't want him gone. The organization, from what I understand, is just done with him. So you're assuming that, you know, Kyrie is going to come back and is going to be, the best version of Kyrie, you know, and by the way, once he did start playing last year, there was a big difference between how well he played when he had a bunch of days off because of, you know, they were playing, you know, home games or whatever versus, you know, when he had to play a number of days in a row, like his, his, his numbers, you know, fell off. So it's like, there's not even a guarantee that if you have Kyrie playing an 82 game season, you're going to get the best version of Kyrie for the whole year. So that's one thing you're assuming. And then I also, you you brought up Ben Simmons. Theoretically, on paper, that's a great fit, but we haven't seen Ben Simmons play basketball in over a year, and he just had back surgery. So, you know, you can make this, I mean, the whole argument about this Nets team, since this whole experiment started, like since Harden got there, and they were talking about, like, scary hours, and, like, this is the most <laughs> incredible team of all time. And a couple of times, like, the handful of games that, you know, Durant, Kyrie, and Harden were able to play together, they were just as dominant as people thought they were going to be. But between injuries and, like, the Kyrie vaccine stuff, they were we were only able to see that for, like, a handful of games. And then they trade for Ben Simmons, who, again, as talented as he is, hasn't played in a full season and just had back surgery. So, like... This is all like on paper. You can say yes; those three together is like the most talented team they could put out there. But it's 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 very the idea of this Nets team as a contender is very theoretical at this point. So I don't I don't know what and and I, and I don't know what there is for them to do to to get better. But it just it just the whole situation. It feels like 
Kyrie is bought in for the whole year and Simmons stays totally healthy. By the way, Durant is not playing 82 games a year anymore. He has this, you know, he had the torn Achilles, and since then, like, as great as he's been when he's healthy, he has had hamstring issues and he's had knee issues. Like, he's he's had, you know, he's been you know missing at least 15 to 20 games or more every year since he came back from the Achilles injury. So you can't, you know, and he's 34, you can't count on, you know, he's going to stay healthy the, you know, the entire time. So, yes, you know, on paper, just removing any of the, like, the elements of the actual people involved here, those three names, those three guys on paper, seem like that's, like, the best option for, uh, you know, what the Nets could do. But I think just from a personality standpoint and from a specific, like, health of those specific guys in those specific situations standpoint, I don't know how tenable that would be to just run it back. When did you think everything went wrong for the Nets in terms of Kyrie and KD? When do you think was, like, the first time, like, okay, this isn't going well? Well, the mistake they made as an organization, I think, was caving to what Durant wanted and letting Kyrie play even though he wasn't vaccinated and, you know, he could only play in road games because he couldn't play in in New York. Because at that point, point it was just clear that the organization was not running the organization. Kevin, Kevin Durant was running the organization, and... The, the you know the logic that they had at the time was you know that was like when the you know the omicron surge was going on and teams were just like pulling guys out of the G League because they had so many players going into health and safety protocols and they needed to just have bodies out there because they didn't want to miss games so uh, I think the rationale that the Nets had at the time was we're going to bring in all these guys who are part time players who aren't you know really part of the team. We can bring in some G League guy, or we can bring in Kyrie Irving. But what that did, it's like I, uh, on paper you understand the logic there. But what that also did was made James Harden decide, okay, this is this is not serious. I'm like I'm done with this. They're you know they're letting Kyrie you know not really be fully there for the team, but then still be able to play. Like Harden was, I think I think Harden kind of checked out once they started letting Kyrie be a part time player when they previously were holding the line about him not being. Oh, you know, you either have to be all in or you have to be all out, which is what I think a good organization would do, regardless of what the star players want. And so once Harden checked out and that whole situation became toxic, and then you trade for, uh, you know, you trade for Ben Simmons, who doesn't play the whole rest of the season, and you don't really know what's going on with that whole situation. <laughs> like, it's as much as, like, Durant created a lot of the chaos by, you know, tying his, you know, his professional fortunes to Kyrie Irving which I you know I guess is a choice that you can make if you want to but that's something that Durant did but then you know he saw how chaotic it was and was like yeah I don't know I don't know about this I just I really I really don't know how this is all going to play out but it's it's very there's a lot there's a lot of blame to go around do you think that sometimes because I feel like right I, I know they wanted Kevin Durant when healthy he's arguably the best player in the NBA he's Top 15 player of all time. Kevin Durant is fantastic. But do you think there's some times where, you know, you talk about morals, right? Like what you believe in as an organization. You might want Kevin Durant, but then it's like, okay, we're attaching ourselves to to Kyrie. We know how it ended in Kyrie with Cleveland. We know how it ended in Boston. We know Kyrie can be a little bit flaky. At some point, even if it means you are sacrificing not getting a star like Kevin Durant, there has to be like some principles that you stand by and some foundation. You would think so, and I think that's a reason why, again, as good of a basketball player still as Kyrie Irving is, 
when you know a few weeks ago or a month ago or whatever it was when there was the talk that he was going to you know maybe opt out and explore different sign and trade options. He, you know, he and his agent or whatever, he called around the league and was like, hey, would you guys want to, you know, do something? And that, pretty much the entire league was like, no, you know what, we're good. And the, the Lakers are the only team that really showed any interest in it because that's, you know, LeBron wants him and they're the only, and they're just like, Dude, they need to get out of this rust thing and they're so desperate for a star that, like, they're the only team that maybe showed some interest. The funny thing about, uh, about, about this, you know, this, this era of the Nets, I don't know if you've read the, uh, book uh can't knock the hustle by matt sullivan which is about kind of this era of the nets it came out maybe a year or a year and a half ago or something the nets were not really i mean they did you know create the cap space but they weren't going nearly as hard as uh the knicks were for example like everybody knew for like two years ahead of time the knicks were you know clearing all their cap space to try to go after durant and and, and another star Durant and Kyrie basically just called the Nets and were like, hey, we're coming. And they were just like, uh, okay, sure. Like, that's, uh, I mean, sure, sounds good. Like, which, you know, any organization would. You know, if, you, if Kevin Durant calls and says, hey, I want to come, you just kind of do whatever you can to get him. But, yeah, I, I think that this whole era of the Nets is, you know, showing that it's harder to run an organization than a lot of these players who, you know, as much as, you know, you, you talk about the, you know, the term player empowerment, and yes, it's great that players have some say in where they go and, you know, what their situation is. But I think a lot of these players are now, you know, LeBron is starting to realize this too, where, you know, as, you know LeBron is, you know, one of the two best players of all time. He's not a very good GM, and he has a lot of say in player personnel stuff wherever he goes. Like, it... It's not necessarily the best, even though it'll keep guys happy, it's not necessarily the best thing to let these guys have this much say in, you know, what players they bring in, because it's the same, it's the same reason, and kind of on a different level, it's like, it's the same reason why it never really works out very well when you give the coach personnel control, like, it didn't work out like that with Tom Thibodeau in Minnesota, it didn't work out with Sam Van Gundy in Detroit, it didn't work out with Doc Rivers early on with the Clippers, Running a team and being a player or being a coach are separate jobs. So, like, if these guys have so much power over the over the thing, and they're not like full time GMs, and they're not you know really, you know, you know, that's not their full job is putting the roster together. And they just say, hey, I want this guy, I want this guy. They aren't able to think it through as much as somebody, you know, as much as you may disagree with what some GMs do or you know or whatever. But, like, I think we're kind of seeing like the extreme end of like with this whole mess situation of like of like the direction that all that. Yeah, and I would agree with you, and, and I know there is the whole player empowerment thing, but I always think about it this way, right? Like, there's a reason there's an owner, there's a reason there's a GM or a president of basketball operations, there's a reason there's a coach, the reason there's the player. It's like how you can have the star player from the sixth man to the 15th guy on the bench. Like, everybody has a specific role and job that they're supposed to do, and they're on that team, they're in that organization to do a specific thing. The, the uh, scout who's on the road looking at college basketball games is not the same job necessarily as the GM, right? Like every And you even see this with owners. Like the best owners are typically guys who can employ the right people but aren't always like, you have to do this, you have to do this because they understand who knows more than them and who are the smartest basketball people uh, to run things. And I think sometimes, right, just because you're really good at basketball, that doesn't have much of a correlation to if you can build a team because a lot of these guys, they're not like following the league like that and all these players I mean, I think LeBron's like, you know, I hoop a Russell Westbrook. He's pretty good. Let's get him. 
what were the what was the best stretch of teams that LeBron was on? It was when he was in Miami, and that was because the Heat were the only organization that he ever played for that was willing to not just do everything that he wanted. Remember, like remember the beginning of the of that run, the, the first year of the you know the year right after the decision when they kind of got off that rough start. LeBron went to Pat Riley and wanted Eric Spolster fired, and Pat Riley was like, "No, you know, Eric Spolster is the coach. Deal with it." And then LeBron had to deal with it, and then they ended up winning two titles in the, over the next, you know, forty years. And LeBron had the best years of his career. And then, you know, he goes back to Cleveland, and they're just so desperate to keep him happy. And they did put together some really good teams, and they did win championship in twenty sixteen. But both the Cavs, the second time he was there, and the Lakers were just, you know, they were like, we have LeBron, we have to do whatever LeBron wants. And, like, you see the Lakers bringing in Russ because LeBron wanted him, or, like, two-thirds of their roster is clutch guys, or, like, whatever it may be. And, like, that, letting the player, you know, even when it's somebody like LeBron, and, you know, you'd always rather have LeBron on your team than not, it doesn't usually go very well when you give them that much of a say in, in stuff because as you said being a GM is a full time job being a coach is a full time job being a player at LeBron and Kevin Durant's level is a full time job and like as much as you know some you know there are, there are certainly times where you know a player is in a clearly bad situation where the GM is not really doing everything they can do to make the team better but but it's like for the most part, it's like these guys get paid to do what they do, and you know, you everybody should kind of just like do you know what their actual job is, as opposed to you know LeBron coming in or Durant coming in and saying, "Oh, well, I want this, I want this, I want this," and if I don't get exactly what I want, I'm going to ask for a trade. Like, I don't think that's healthy. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I, you know, you got it right on the head, right? Like the reason Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, the reason they're employed by these teams and making the money is not because they're GMs or because they're coaches. That's not the reason. <laughs> That's not the reason Golden State's like, we're paying Steph Curry $50 million a year. We're playing Jokic $50 million a year. It's not because they want you to be the coach of the GM. That's not why they're paying you. Not at all. And, you know, you, you go back to, you know, this is, this is something that, you know, going back to what uh, I, I, th- I think a lot of these players are going to realize that you know I I don't really like to get too much into legacy stuff and you know oh well, look, is this guy a true champion or is this guy a true competitor or like I always kind of I would I never loved the whole like oh well Durant took the coward's way out by going to the Warriors stuff but like neither did I it's be I think it's BS stuff, this stuff does impact guys' reputations rightly or wrongly and the way that guys are talked about and like. A guy like Durant, where, you know, he already got killed for going to the Warriors because he joined a 73-win team that had just beaten his team in the, in the conference finals. And then they win the next two championships and, are, and just, you know, just win them going away and nobody's even close to them. And then he leaves the Warriors and people say, you know what, okay, I can respect that because he and Kyrie are trying to build their own thing in Brooklyn. Like, that's cool. Like, I can get on board with that. I think that was a lot of the reaction to that move. And now it's like, you know, the first time something doesn't go the way that he wants it to go, now he's like, oh, sorry, you know, now I want out again. I think people are looking at him. This is kind of going back to the stuff that you and I were talking about with Dame at the beginning of, the, of, of when we started recording this. Is You know, look at the way that Dame's career has gone, and you look at the way that Russell Westbrook's career has gone since he left Oklahoma City. Now, the, the Oklahoma City thing, I think, you know, I don't think Russ was, like, holding him hostage trying to get traded. I think Sam Presti was 
more than happy to do that because he wanted to rebuild after you know the Paul George thing happened anyway. But since like Russell Westbrook, whatever wherever you want to land on him as a player and how good you think he is or what whatever, he was a god in Oklahoma City, and he could you know if if he was playing the way that he's playing right now in the last couple of years, and he was still in Oklahoma City, I think you would have a lot more people defending him than you do now because he had that kind of 10 years of built-in goodwill with the fan base that's the only team that he's ever played for. Once he got out of Oklahoma City and got to Houston, it didn't go well that first year with Harden. And so now Houston is like, well, we got to get rid of Russ now. And then he gets traded to Washington. And, you know, that team isn't very good. And Washington is like, well, we got to trade Russ now. And then they get traded to the Lakers and that doesn't go well. And now the Lakers are like desperate to get rid. Like, once you... Don't once you you know you decide like oh I need the perfect situation I want to get away from you know my you know this team because I don't think they're good enough or I don't like the direction they're going in or whatever. Once you get off of your original team, you don't have that same built-in like. Just, it's the same thing like what we were talking about with Dane. You know, Dane. Let's say Dane gets traded to I don't know. I'm just throwing a team out there, the Knicks or whatever, or the Sixers or you know whoever that you know you could theoretically get traded to. He's not their guy, so if something goes wrong, he's going to be the one that gets blamed. Whereas in Portland, like he's untouchable here in terms of like he, you know, he's the most popular guy in the city. And like, I to me, to me, there's something to be said for you know a lot of these guys. Like, even if Dane never wins a title in Portland, which I think is likely that he's never going to, he's going to be Reggie Miller in Indiana, or he's going to be you know John Stockton in Utah, or you know whatever. Like, they're going to build the statue, they're going to retire his jersey, and I think you compare that to the way that people talk about Russell Westbrook now, or you're talking about like, you know, Allen Iverson towards the end of his career when he was in Detroit or he was in Memphis. And it was just like, yes, this guy's an all time great. He's a hall of fame player. But at this point in his career, every team that gets him can't wait to get rid of him. And it's just like, it negatively impacts the way people talk about him historically. I think there's something to be said for just the consistency. Yeah, I think it is crazy because I think this does get into like the narrative of the media and fans and how it shapes everything because you could be a multiple-time MVP, be a consensus top-ten player in the NBA for a decade, multiple All-NBAs, All-Stars, All-Defensive teams, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and just because you don't want a championship, people will be like, oh, he wasn't that good. <laughs> or yeah, like, and it, 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 yeah. Which exactly. is crazy. Like, yeah, and it's, 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 kind of funny. it's kind of funny, you know, going back to the Dame stuff that like, Kevin Durant got killed for going to the Warriors because he, you know, people said, "Oh, he has no rings. He needs to, you know, he needs to get rings." So he goes to the team that gives him the best chance to get rings. He gets killed for it, and now you kind of see a lot of like Dame, you know, decides to stay with the team that he wants to stay with, and he's probably never going to win a title. And the same people that were killing Durant for going to the Warriors, like, I don't know, is he really doing everything he can to win? He should go somewhere else where he, like, it's, it's, you know, you can't really win either way with a lot of this stuff. I, I. I, I my stance has always been like it's really hard to win an NBA championship. Only one team wins it every year, and some all-time great players are going to retire without one, and that's just is how it goes sometimes. Correct, and I, and I do think it's interesting, right? Too because and it's always interesting. Like people will sometimes say, like, who? What career would you rather? Would you rather be Robert Ory, who won seven championships, or would you rather be Tracy McGrady? And I'm always like. You know, screw the rings. I'd rather be Trace McGrady. Like, I feel like the whole goal. Trace McGrady made a hell of a lot more money. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, what? Like, and that's a conversation. I've I, I've argued with people, and they've told me like, 
I'd rather be Robert Ory. And I, in the Hall of Fame, Robert Ory's not going to make the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and I, I can never understand people who think that way because I'm like, one, Tracy McGrady was just a ten times better basketball player, which at the end of the day, I think the reason everybody plays sports is to be the best you possibly can be, sure, regardless yeah. of what that outcome is. So he was just better flat out. Uh, more recognition, Hall of Fame. Uh, which you could argue is more hollowed, and I, getting into the Hall of Fame is probably harder to do than uh, winning a championship because there's 15 people who, who win a championship. You cannot be very good and win a championship or have uh, a limiting right. influence and win a championship. So I, I think it is a narrative of people just like rings. It just it just looks better. Yeah, and that's and I don't know where a lot of that came from. I don't. I mean, I think some of it is just because you know of, of like the way that Jordan is mythologized and now. You know, the way that you know Kobe is is talked about. Like it's. I, it'd be, it would be interesting to go back and kind of pinpoint where "quote unquote" rings culture started, but I definitely feel like it has, like, you know, you're talking about different guys and like, well, can this guy be the best player on a championship team? It's like, well, I mean, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. So I used to live in Chicago. I used to cover the Bulls, uh, and this. So I still follow the Bulls pretty closely, just because I still know a lot of people in that city and you know with that organization. There was all of this talk about should they re-sign Zach Levine? Should they give him the max? And my stance was always, yeah. I mean, he's the best player. Uh, he's their best player. They're a playoff team. They're not gonna, you know, is you know. And then people were talking about like, is he the best player on a championship team? And I was like, well, no. But there's like six guys in the league who can be the best player on a championship team in in that in that sense. So it's like. We get we get into this stage, and I, I think I think a lot of this stuff is with with you know with some of this you know the way that a lot of these guys are talked about, and also with uh, you know the way that some of these guys' contracts are talked about. That I think a lot of people's minds still have not adjusted to the cap spike of 2016 and just what NBA contracts are now, and so they see the number on a page of like 200 million dollars or whatever Zach got or you know, $60 million a year like Dane got for his extension or what, you know, the, the deal that Bradley Beal got that a lot of people were criticizing also. They see that number and they see that it's somebody that isn't like Giannis or Luka or Steph Curry getting it. And they just like can't process it. And so that's, and then when it's like, really, that's just like what the money is in the league now. And that's just what guys get paid. And that's what, you know, there are a lot of really good players in the league. Most of them are not quote unquote the best player on a championship team. And I don't think that means that a lot of them are worth Correct, and I also think this goes into like you know basketball's a team game, and I was thinking about this, like if you think about like all the major sports, right? Hockey, football, basketball, baseball, or even take like MMA or boxing for example. Like in MMA or boxing, how good you actually perform is like ninety nine. I'll take an error for like if a coach makes a wrong decision or a ref makes a wrong decision or, or something like that, or the judges mess it up in those sports. But in those type of sports. Like, how you perform is, like, 99% correlated with if you win or lose. Easily. Like, the or tennis or, or any of these one-on-one -on -one sports where it's literally just you and the other person. And other sports where there's more people, like football, uh, basketball, baseball, uh, hockey, how you individually perform, you could have an A-plus game. But that doesn't always mean you will win because there's, like, other factors that influence it. The more people that are on the floor, the field, the court, the diamond or whatever... Uh, that that influences and that can negate uh, if you win or lose. Like in baseball, like you can hit four home runs and still lose. Like you could have Barry Bonds at the plate 
uh, everybody's everybody's on base and you could walk him and only give up one run instead of him hitting a grand slam out of it. Like, or, or in basketball, we saw LeBron James have, what, 49-8-8 and through four quarters against the Golden State Warriors by himself and he played his, like, out of his mind and that game was still, was tied at half, it was tied at the end of regulation. LeBron literally had one of the best games of his life. He, he played as perfect as you possibly can and that game was only tied and the Warriors didn't play particularly well in that game one. No, I mean, I would actually say that basketball, is out of, out of all those sports that you named, I would say that basketball, while certainly not an individual sport in the same way that tennis or boxing or MMA are, is closer to those just because there are fewer people on the court. Or they're, they're, so each person has more of a chance to impact the game. You brought up baseball as an example. Mike Trout is probably the best hitter of the last 50 years. Mike Trout has played in one playoff series in his entire career and is probably never going to play in the playoffs again because the Angels are just not that good because even with that he's like one of the best ever at what he does, he's only going to come up to bat four times a game. And so nobody is ever looking at Mike Trout and saying, well, the Angels haven't made the playoffs. The Angels haven't won the World Series. So Mike Trout's a choker or Mike Trout's not a real winner because there's just only so much that he can do to impact the game. In basketball, it's a little bit different because there are certain guys, like LeBron was in this category for a while, I think it's fallen off a little bit now, but you know, prime LeBron or prime Kevin Durant or Giannis right now, there are guys where if you have those guys on your team, it doesn't matter who else is on your team. Like You saw some of those teams that LeBron, you know, those early Cavs teams before he went to Miami that like, it was like him and then his second best player was like Booby Gibson or Anderson Barajal or whatever. Those teams still like won playoff series and made it to the conference finals just because LeBron was that good. And I don't think that's a dynamic that ex- exists in like a lot of the other team sports. That's true. But I also think it is also important to remember just because there's more of a correlation in yes. basketball that you play, it doesn't mean like it's total. Like I would say like if we're subbing it up, I mean like, would you say like one player in basketball like 50%? Even if it's 50% impact on the game, but that's still not technically, like, a whole lot. No. <laughs> like, even if no, it is 50%. There are some, like, the Cavs, you know, the Cavs probably win that game one of the 2018 finals against the Warriors if J.R. Smith remembers what the score is. Like, yeah. that's not LeBron's fault that J.R. Smith didn't remember the score. Yeah, like, there's nothing he could have done. They still lost, but then there are people who are like, well... A loss, a loss. And I, I think people get mixed up with the content of just because you win, it doesn't mean you played well. I think that's also something people forget. Right. Sport, just because you win doesn't mean you played well. You can lose and play extremely well. You can win and you can suck, right? But if you win, yeah. history's kind of written by the winners. That's an old saying, right? Then people will kind of forget it. Totally. I mean, you look at this, this year in the Western Conference playoffs, I don't think anybody would say that the Mavericks were a better team than the Suns, who won 65 games and had the best record in the league all year. But they caught him at the right time, and you know there were some you know different different things at play. I think there you know Chris Paul wasn't himself for whatever reason. That doesn't mean that like oh that that that, that Suns team sucked or that Suns team or Chris Paul isn't actually that good or whatever. But like the Mavs just won that series, and now they're looked at now as the team that made the conference finals. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, one game changes, like, our whole perception of people. That's the one thing uh, that that bothers me. And I also say this about the Kevin Durant thing quickly. When Kevin Durant went to Golden State, it's always interesting when people, you know, they say, oh, like, he's a traitor or whatever, turncoat. Like, he didn't didn't do it the hard way, the meat and potatoes way, like how Jordan Bird Magic did. And then people say, oh, he went to a ready-made team. But I'm always like, so 
is the issue that you were mad that he left Oklahoma City or was it the team that he went to? Because if you're going to say you're just mad he went to the Warriors, if let's say he was drafted by the Warriors and this happened organically, would you consider it any less of a championship, quote unquote? Like if Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Steph were all just drafted by Golden State, the same thing would have materialized. <laughs> but we, yeah, the people would look at it differently. Yeah, and you're punishing, you're punishing guys for having other good players on the team. I, I totally understand why he got some of the backlash for the Warriors move. I don't, I don't, I don't have any issue with it. Like from a moral standpoint or whatever people were doing, it's just you know, for me personally as a fan, I you know as a fan of the league, I like it when we don't go into the season immediately knowing who's going to win the title, and you know. So for me as a fan, like those couple of years that he was in Golden State were kind of boring because he knew exactly who was going to win and there was really no drama to it at all. I like, I like this, you know, this coming season, even though there are like a couple of, you know, stacked teams with a bunch of superstars or whatever, you and I are talking in late July. I have no idea who's going to win the championship. I have no idea who the top four teams, you know, the order of the top four teams in each conference. I don't know, you know, who's going to come out of the East, who's going to come out of the West. Most years, it's pretty easy to look at and say, okay, well, this is probably the favorite. Like, you look at both conferences, I just, you know, there's like four or five different teams in each conference that you can make a case for being the best team in the conference. Like, I, as a fan, I like it better that way. I think that's that's where I think a lot of the backlash came from for Durant, rightly or wrongly, with him going to the Warriors, was it just took a lot of the drama out of the season. What do you think Kevin Durant's true trade value is? I mean, uh, this gets back to something that we talked about before, which is I think a lot of his trade value is kind of taken down a little bit because there are GMs. Like, in a vacuum, you can trade for Kevin Durant, who is 34 and is still playing at arguably an MVP level and has four years left on his contract. You would think that that would have a lot of trade value, but just because of the dynamics of all this kind of stuff and the way that it's gone with him in Brooklyn a team like a Toronto or a New Orleans that you would think would say, hey, you know what, we have this guy and he's under contract, let's you know, let's do it. Teams are not really wanting to offer as much because they feel like if he asked out of Brooklyn with four years left on his deal after they did everything to cater to him, what's to stop him from asking out of our team and with three years left on his deal if he doesn't like it here? And so teams aren't really willing to give up every single you know asset that they have the way that you normally would for a guy of Kevin Durant's caliber because of some of those external dynamics. And I also think if you give up everything you have, you want Kevin Durant there so you can contend. <laughs> if you give up everything, yeah. like it defeats the whole purpose. You might as well just stay right. with what you have. Yeah, to- totally. And that's that's why you know you saw the you know, and obviously he's not nearly as good of a player even in his prime as Kevin Durant was, but like you saw what happened when the Knicks traded like half their team for Carmelo Anthony, and then they were never good enough with him to contend. I, I worry that they're going to try to do the same thing with Donovan Mitchell now, where like it's the same trade. You give up so much to get a guy, and then you don't have enough left over. That's uh, you know, I so so it's 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 a tough spot that a lot of these guys are kind of either in because of the market dynamics or are putting themselves. And I think what's also important, I think people forget about is we, we can sell Kevin Durant, and I'm sure the Nets would do this, right? Because, you know, they want to get as much as they can for him if they trade him. But, you know, best, arguably best player in the NBA, second best player to Giannis, whatever you want to say it. But the, the facts are the facts. He's only played like 90 games in the last three years. He had a catastrophic Achilles injury. The basketball is really good when he plays, but I think 90 games over three years, it's like 
27, 28 games. It's like a quarter of a season. I know one of those seasons he missed completely, but that's like 27, 38. That's like a quarter of an NBA season that he's literally playing in the regular season. And then he's 34. And typically at the age of 34, people only maintain they don't get better. And if you're going to trade all these picks, all these young assets, in four years, is Kevin Durant going to be a top five player in the NBA? Probably not. If in those four years, is he going to be healthy for every single playoff run? I would say he'll probably miss at least one. I think that's not unreasonable to assume. So really what you're getting is you're maybe getting one to two years of super, super high level play that you can really bank on. After that, this isn't like you're trading for Giannis, Jokic, Luka, where you're like, okay, for the next like six, seven years, we know what we have. In six years, Kevin Durant's probably not playing basketball. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think every organization is going to have to kind of figure out where they're at. Like Phoenix, for example, when they traded for Chris Paul a couple of years ago, and I mean, I know Chris Paul has been awesome since he got there, and he's you know has been one of the best players in the league even at his age. But he's also missed a lot of time. But the Suns felt like, as an organization, we've been a joke for so long that you know. We need to get this guy in because he brings us credibility and he'll make our, you know, he'll make us at minimum a playoff team and, you know, he'll, he'll help instill a good culture. And even if, you know, the back end of the contract doesn't look good or he doesn't age well or whatever, what he does for us on the front end is still worth it. There are some organizations where, and that's the same reason I didn't really have an issue with the uh, Timberwolves trading as much as they traded for Rudy Gobert, even though it was kind of an overpay. I, I was just like, you know, you have an opportunity to go for it with, with you know, with Anthony Edwards and with Cat, like, go for it. Like, and so there are some times where even if you have to give up a lot to bring a guy in, that's worth it. But then there are other times, like, I think there are a lot of teams that are looking at this Durant thing. And if Kevin Durant was 28 and he was trying to get traded and he had four years left on his contract, I think, think this would be going a lot differently as far as these trade negotiations than it is when it's 34. I completely agree. I think you just have to take into account the age of the player, the injury history, and how long once you have him is he actually going to be able to play. Because if I'm an organization, why would I give up six first-round draft picks within six, five years? He's not playing bad. He's going to be almost 40. He's probably not playing basketball. He's not going to be a top-ten player at 40. Probably not. So why would I do that? Why would I do that? Because I'm going to get one good year? Yeah, I agree. Sean, I want to thank you for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this was a lot of fun, man. Thanks for having me. And once again, I want to thank Sean for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode. The 461st episode of... Barbershop Sports Talk.